0: Jack Horner is arguably the world's most famous paleontologist. He was the inspiration behind Dr. Alan Grant's character in Jurassic Park, and is a world authority on some of the most well-known dinosaurs. But he thinks dinosaurs may have been very different to what we might be used to. Welcome to Cosmos Insights, where our newsroom journalists talk with the researchers who are changing our world. I'm Evram Yazgen, and I'm chatting with Jack Horner. The difficulties, the scientific problems and questions and debates which come up when we're trying to translate what is really a sparse fossil record into something which which we can see, whether that be in a documentary or something like that. How do we get from the fossils to an image of
1: a T Rex, for example? Yeah, you know that's a that's a good question. I mean, you know, we have we have a lot of T Rex skeletons. Right, we still argue about you know how they got their meat mm-hmm. right i mean i'm I'm still a a strong advocate of of t rex being an opportunist mm-hmm. and so you know the people that think that it's an apex predator, I think you have to think that just based on 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 opinion and and their own biases because there's no evidence for it i mean there's you know people say well there's you know there's a broken off tooth in such and such an animal and it mm. survived afterwards that's you know an N of one i mean that's that that doesn't you know yeah. show me how first first off i always say show, just show me with take some toys and show me exactly how the t-rex had to bite this animal in mm. order for it for a tooth to be lodged in the in the centrum of a vertebrae and not alter the neural spine which is the most fragile part of the thing how do you actually break a tooth off inside of the hard part of the bone and not disturb this the, the fragile part of the bone it, mm. you know it just doesn't make any sense unless of course the you know the animal was sitting was laying down on the ground already i mean it just you know people have their biases i mean they want t first off lots of scientists just want t-rex to be a apex predator and so they're going to do science the opposite way it's supposed to be done they're going Mm. to look for evidence to support their theory rather than falsify it
0: yeah absolutely i mean i think that's part of the the interesting aspect that i'm trying to bring out is that the way that we're perceiving dinosaurs should change sometimes and and perhaps is changing what 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 are some of the ways in which you think that that's taking place or maybe even should be taking place how, how we've seen dinosaurs in the past compared to how we're seeing them now
1: well i one of the things i'm trying to do you know and it goes back to you know what we know and what we don't know and what we guess at right and so you know since the beginning of uh, finding dinosaurs people have been making them you know gray and brown Mm. and and yet their descendants can be very colorful right vividly colored and i you know i say you know since we don't know i mean what's you know it's a vividly colored dinosaur is just as accurate as a as a brown one i mean we don't know right so actually the the preponderance of evidence suggests that they would be vividly colored because Mm. their closest you know, birds are their, you know, birds are dinosaurs. So, so if they can be vividly colored there's and especially, you know, the, the dinosaurs with crests, are uh, the birds with crests on their heads, you know, or on their mm. snouts or whatever, I mean, you know, corasos and, and, and hornbills and all those things, uh, all of those bony crests are are colorful. They're vividly colored. And and so why not at least vividly color, you know, the the accoutrements on the heads of the dinosaurs, like the horn dinosaurs and the, you know, and, and the duckbill dinosaurs and so forth. I mean, why not? But people, you know, a lot of times people just, you know, like the idea that they're big and therefore they should be like a mammal. but mammals evolved mammals evolved as nocturnal creatures they're Mm -hmm. mostly colorblind i mean they they communicate via pheromones i mean they sniff one another they don't they're not into visual (laughs) kinds of things like birds and other reptiles are So, Mm so again what what's the point of making a gray dinosaur when when we know that they You know, we're not colorblind like most mammals. I mean, it just—you know—it's senseless. Yeah, yeah, and I guess we're finding out
0: that a large number, if not all, uh, theropod dinosaurs had feathers, and to to some extent, personally, like I feel like I've, I've kind of seen that again. Growing up, I was four years old in 1999 when Walking with Dinosaurs came out, and there were barely there was barely a feather in sight. But now we're, right. we're starting to see that coming up. Is is that a a positive development? I guess, in your opinion, in terms of how we're representing the
1: animals. Well, you know, they should be feathered. I mean, the theropod dinosaurs should be feathered. Yeah. You know? And like I said, I think they should be colorful. Mm. You know, I mean, and they should be dancing and singing. <laughs> I mean, that you know, birds. Birds didn't. You know, we we just we assume that birds are pretty, right? And therefore they They evolve prettiness right on their own, because mm-hmm. dinosaurs couldn't be pretty. they have to be mean and nasty and mm-hmm. eat people, yeah, right I mean that's that's our that's our general consensus mm-hmm. of what a dinosaur is like, and you know there's nothing to suggest that it's right. I mean birds couldn't have evolved all of these incredible features all on their own. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were already birds. Yeah. long before the dinosaur extinction. So nothing to suggest that, that birds didn't acquire these features mm-hmm. from their ancestors. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I suppose the, the other aspect of it is, is not just the, the animals themselves, but the world in which they lived. Again, often there's this false sense of dinosaurs all living in hot, arid, tropical, Regions, right? You'd imagine uh, the dinosaurs on a on a grassy plain with blue right. skies. How do we sort of accurately represent the world in which dinosaurs lived?
1: Well, first off, they lived everywhere in the world, right? I mean, and they lived everywhere in the world from the time that the continents were together until they were all apart. I mean, you know, they lived they lived north of the Arctic Circle. They lived, you know, we do find them close to the Uh, equator as well Uh, we don't have any evidence of them living in in jungles i mean we don't we don't preserve a jungle right we only find them in the environments that are preserved and those are mostly fluvial right 99 percent of the dinosaurs found are either in rivers or if they're found in mongolia they could be in a sand dune but that's about it i mean there's you know we don't we don't have jungles so there's no reason putting them in a jungle yeah they're next to a river because that's yeah. that's where they're preserved yeah we don't even know about any of the dinosaurs in between that lived in the mountains for example mm-hmm. we don't we not don't clue what kind of dinosaurs lived in the mountains so our fossil record like you said is is pretty sparse it probably is pretty sparse it's hard to even tell right I mean it's hard to tell what we're missing yeah. you know the formations that where we do find these riverine sediments and we find dinosaurs preserved in them. we are still finding new species in fact it's you know it's one of my you know i suggested in a ted talk that we over estimated the number some of the numbers of things and that we would find these ontogenies and 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 quite frankly you know i, I still think that's true i i do still think that we've named a lot of juvenile or mm-hmm. sub-adult taxa, um, new species when they, when they're ontogenies, but on the other hand, you know, we are still finding a lot of new dinosaurs as well. And so even in these formations where like the hell Creek formation where T-Rex and mm-hmm. triceratops come from, which is heavily collected, we're still finding new species of dinosaurs. It's interesting.
0: Yeah. It's a pretty exciting prospect. I actually remember, um, coming across that Ted talk years ago, um, and being really fascinated by, it. can you maybe just explain a little bit as to what you meant by that and the kind of how you came to that conclusion
1: back in the seventies, Peter Dodson had, had demonstrated, had, had shown by doing a morphometric study that, that some juvenile or sub-adult duckbill dinosaurs, oh. uh, retained their juvenile characteristics until they were 65 to 70% grown. Mm-hmm. And which means that, you know, that a, that a sub-adult dinosaur didn't have the cranial features, the ac- cranial accoutrements that an adult would have. Mm. And therefore, even, I mean, they, they were pretty big. And so, you know, back in the early 1900s, people were finding some of these sub-adult dinosaurs and, and thinking they were adult dinosaurs and they gave them new names. I mean, mm. they, they gave them names like prokiniosaurus mm-hmm. suggesting that it was you know a primitive version of 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 something that you know had a had a big crest on its head mm-hmm. and that it, it was a great paper and but the thing is, is that after godson published this people just went on to continue you know naming new taxa based on on their differences rather than their similarities and that's the key to it all you you have to look at the similarity you can't tell two organisms are related by looking at their differences so again it's people overlooking the obvious things that would negate their hypothesis and naming a new taxon just because you know they want to name a new animal so They're again, doing science backwards. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Again, uh, the impulse for, for writing the essay that I'm working on for the magazine was a new BBC documentary called prehistoric planet. I mean, documentaries. Yeah. Yeah. Like this, uh, probably Mm -hmm. the the way that most people come into contact with dinosaurs. I I was quite moved by it, uh, impressed by it in different Mm -hmm. ways.
1: Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's certainly an updated version of, you know, like walking with dinosaurs or something like that. I mean, and it's, you know, it's pretty good. I know that I had some problems with some of it, but you know, I don't remember what they are. I mean, it's just, you know, dinosaurs probably weren't as exciting as we'd like to make them. Right. I mean, you know, they were just normal animals. So, you know, people who are trying to sell something, whether it be a TV show or a, a movie, are going to over sensationalize mm. right the behaviors of animals that may not you know yeah it's an interesting
0: thought that the the most exciting aspect of dinosaurs is that they were rather boring
1: yeah one of the things i teach in one of my classes on dinosaurs i mean is the is just the mere fact that you look at all of the different kinds of dinosaurs and there really is very little diversity. I mean, for animals that were on Earth for 155 million years, there is a low diversity. I mean, you've got horned dinosaurs with a whole bunch of different kinds of horn orientations, but you've got horned dinosaurs, you've got duck dinosaurs, you've got armored dinosaurs, and then you've got you know, a bunch of mediating dinosaurs and some long-necked dinosaurs. And you can put basically... You know any dinosaur in any of those groups i mean it's you know there are very few outlier mm-hmm. to to these and and when you look at their teeth you've got you know meat-eating dinosaur teeth and you got these weird sauropod teeth which nobody has a clue what sauropods were actually doing for a living i mean obviously <laughs> eating something out of a tree but mm-hmm. you know what it is who knows i mean they some of their teeth look like the end of a pencil, like the eraser end of a pencil. And some of them look like, you know, little poorly designed spoons. And, you know, I mean, they're just, they're, they're weird teeth and, and they're in, you know, a head that's, that's tiny compared to its body. I mean, they certainly likely were fermenters. I mean, they likely smelled really bad, but, you know, basic, you know, not a lot of variety in teeth in sauropods and there's lots of sauropods. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you've got meat eaters and their their teeth are pretty straightforward. The only, you know, super outlier is Spinosaurus. And, mm-hmm. you know, we can see it ate fish. It's a piscivore. But then when you get down to the plant eaters, I mean, where you would think you would have a lot of different variations, hardly have any. I mean, you've got leaf-shaped teeth that look like iguana teeth. And you've got horned dinosaur teeth and all the horned dinosaur teeth are virtually identical. I mean, they're, they're like scissors or shearing teeth mm. and you've got duckbill dinosaurs that all of their teeth are virtually identical as well. And they, they appear to be chewing their food. Mm. Uh, the only variation is, you know, the shape of the crown, which, you know, really hasn't got anything to do with anything. And, and the variation there is really minor. I mean, it, it's, it's just, it's amazing how little diversity there is mm-hmm. in these animals that live for so long and appear to have occupied uh, virtually, you know, every mega niche on the planet. I mean, everywhere. I mean, they're everywhere. Mm-hmm. And yet, you know, they are very general feeders as, as far as we can tell. I mean, you look at horned dinosaurs, have a lot of variation in the horn shapes which is probably sexual related right That's probably has to do with sexual selection or species recognition or something like that it's certainly not defensive Mm -hmm. nothing suggests that horn dinosaurs horns or shields had anything to do with defense Mm -hmm. or offense or anything like that that it was you know there are no evolutionary trends for example yeah It, it all appears to be display of some kind but in their teeth or their mouth i mean basically all horned dinosaurs have a beak a very sharp beak which suggests that they're very specific feeders on something and but it but all of them are eating the same thing right i mean they they have they have pointy beaks and they have shearing teeth and and there's no variation from that i mean it, basically all of them are like that yeah yeah and, and duckbill dinosaurs are you know i mean they got duck like beaks and and <laughs> And they and they have these chewing teeth, so mm. I mean, they're basically all doing the same thing too, whatever that is.
0: yeah, I, I suppose going back to what you were saying before about the fact that we only have fossil record from what's preserved and and a, a large chunk probably hasn't been preserved. And does it suggest that there might have been more variation than what we can see?
1: Well, you know, we don't know. We, we don't have any way of knowing. I mean, mm. every time we find a new dinosaur, it fits into one of these categories. I mean, mm. we just we're not finding anything really weird. Yeah. I will admit, we're finding a number of dinosaurs that don't have any teeth. So we, so you know, <laughs> they're a top up You know, as far as we're concerned, they're all walking around looking for something to eat because we don't have a clue what they were eating. Yeah. Just same as birds. I mean, if we had, you know, if all of our birds were fossils, mm. fossils instead of Alive, we, we wouldn't know what they ate either. Yeah.
0: I suppose just as a, a sort of final summation, in terms of, because I know that you've also been uh, involved in the, the plans to have sort of holographic displays of dinosaurs that are scientifically accurate that you can see and virtually touch and get a sense of. I mean, what what is the, the future for you in terms of how we represent dinosaurs, both scientifically accurately but also to sort of uh well
1: yeah you f- know, scientifically accurate we, you know we don't know they're accurate i mean we i just don't like us staying in with one thing that that we don't know is right i mean mm. making gray and brown dinosaurs just you know you know it, it may be accurate i don't know i mean we don't know mm. but a colorful dinosaur is just as accurate Mm. and so there's no reason not making them colorful there just isn't i mean and and especially you know the feathered ones i mean birds aren't all gray Mm. some of them are Mm. they're not all brown but some of them are but the males of most birds you know are very colorful and why not make dinosaurs the same way i mean Mm. it just it boggles the mind i recently there within the last year or two there was a uh somebody made a model of, of Sue the T-Rex and, mm. you know, it was a, a big giant, you know, it looked like a big giant hippopotamus. It was all gray. Yeah. And I, you know, I mean, it's just mind boggling that, that people would make it giant gray. I mean, it just, I don't understand that at all. Why not make it pink? I mean, yeah. really seriously,
0: yeah.
1: you know, every, I, I, I say, you know, T-Rex, there's no reason T-Rex couldn't have been feathered and pink. And danced and sang mm. and everybody just laughs at that but you know there's it's just as the idea is just as accurate as big hippopotamus gray colored thing mm. yeah and it's more interesting <laughs> and it's more interesting that's right it was more fun yeah mm-hmm. beautiful
0: you can read more about jack Horner, dinosaurs and paleontology on our website cosmosmagazine.com This podcast is produced by the Royal Institution of Australia in Adelaide on Ghana land. The Royal Institution of Australia is a not-for-profit whose mission is to communicate science widely as the key to a better world. We do this through our stories, which are turned into educational resources, teaching the scientists of tomorrow about the science of today in classrooms across Australia. Support us by subscribing to Cosmos Magazine, Australia's last print science magazine, and Cosmos Weekly, its sister e-publication.